Mark, this week we start part two in our two interview series where we interview Steve Doty, the founder and director of Direct Connect Humanitarian Aid. And in addition to that, Steve has devoted a great deal of his time and energy in both preaching the gospel and making disciples. That's right. Steve comes from, by all accounts, the wrong side of the track. Right. Uh, if anybody had the deck stacked against him from the very beginning, Steve is that guy. And in spite of that, <clears throat> Steve not only came to the Lord, but has really been used spectacularly to communicate to the everyday Joe right. some really major principles of what it is to be a new creature, that the old man has passed away, that the new man has come, and how to implement that and continue to grow in that in everyday stuff. He just has a tremendous way of communicating. Everybody loves him. Yeah, I think probably everyone who has heard Steve Doty preach before has a, a first time I remember hearing Steve Doty's story. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, and, and the first time I re- recall hearing Steve, he was talking about dealing with the old man, and, and the old man's in the basement. You've got to go down in the basement and do battle with the old man and kill right, the old right. man. And I was on the edge of my seat. And, <laughs> and uh, honestly, uh, after looking back at the notes I was taking and just feverishly writing notes, I went back and took a look at those and realized that though it was entertaining and though I was engaged, the man went extremely deep, yeah. and and we had covered some topics that I had never even thought about or even knew how to think about prior to being introduced to uh, the new creation and overcoming sins. So uh, enjoy uh, listening to Steve Doty, and we feel you'll be blessed. With uh, three guys on the phone at one time, the audio can be a little bit sketchy, and as we work to sort that out, appreciate you guys listening through and uh, fighting for what's the really valuable stuff that Steve presents to us throughout this interview. Hope you enjoy. Welcome to Interman Radio, where we accomplish more than we thought we could through Christ's power working in us, regardless of what your pastor said last week. So let's drop the excuses, pick up our Bibles, and prepare to win. You know, this week, we're, uh, Mark, we're in the second part of a two-part interview with Mr. Steve Doty, uh, a minister and preacher of the Word. And, and last week, uh, uh, Mr. Doty helped explain to us uh, his role with Direct Connect Humanitarian Aid. And uh, if, you ha- if you didn't listen to that episode yet, you really want to go back and check out uh, Steve Doty's work with Direct Connect Humanitarian Aid, where we got to know uh, the things that he's been up to in uh, eight countries so far that Direct Connect is involved in. Isn't that about right, Mark? That's exactly right. Yeah, it was a great interview with Steve, and we're really glad to have you back today to talk about something that's maybe even more important than your work with Direct Connect Humanitarian Aid, though not unrelated. We want to talk about more today about what it means to put the new creation into practice, and nobody does that better than you. Steve, welcome back. Thanks, Mark. Good to talk to you, Jason. Good to have you back, Steve. Yeah, Steve, I know a little bit about your background, not a lot. I know that you were in the Marine Corps uh, back in the early 70s, uh, back during the days of Vietnam, though uh, I, don't, I don't think you were in Vietnam per se, but I do know from what you said, you were at, in Cuba uh, at Guantanamo Bay at one point, and you witnessed some interesting things there. So you had a background in the Corps, and yet I'm looking at a photo here of you with about 15 Vietnamese gentlemen, uh, I'd say, you know, in their 50s and 60s, uh, maybe a little older, uh, all posing and smiling for a photograph, and it looks like this is clearly in Vietnam. So <clears throat> help, help us connect these dots here. How do we go from uh, Steve Doty in uh, Marine Corps during the Vietnam era to, to to this photo in Vietnam, and what is this photo exactly? I think this was taken just in the last, in the last few weeks, if I'm not mistaken. And, and, and where does that bring us up to speed today? Okay, uh, yeah, way back uh, in those days, uh, when I graduated high school, uh, the Vietnam War was going on. I enlisted in the, in the Marine Corps. And, uh, you know, back in those days uh, in this country, uh, those were troublesome times. And guys, young guys were getting drafted. And rather than wait for the draft, I thought I would just enlist uh, because uh, it was obvious I wasn't going to go to college or anything. I didn't do very well. 
after coming out of uh, some of the background I shared on the last episode about being a social orphan and being in uh, institutionalized, uh, had a lot of problems as a kid, so I didn't do well in school. So when the time came when I graduated, I went ahead and enlisted. Now, the Marine Corps uh, was quite rough back in those days. They did things they weren't supposed to. In other, in other words, uh, like a lot of, uh, well, it was brutal. They'd knock you down uh, and, uh, you know, constantly screaming at you and, you know, kick you or whatever. And, uh, yeah, they were trying to toughen us toughen us up because of what was ahead. Now, I ended up being a grunt, and I was assigned to uh, uh, 3rd Battalion, 9th Marines. We were a landing force uh, off the coast of Vietnam. So, uh, you know, I was right there on the edge. They didn't have to use us in country, but we spent some months there as a quick reaction force. And uh, Mm -hmm. so it was tense, but it was the culture of the time, the hardness. The war was unpopular, and vet and uh, people in the military being criticized, uh, you know, and in many ways blamed for things. So a lot of guys coming home wanted to just throw their uniforms away. Um, but I went from there to Guantanamo. I was on the fence line down there at Gitmo, and I saw things there. You know, it was just very difficult uh, because. Uh, the naval base down there is guarded by the Marines, and we were way out there, five miles out on what they called the forward edge of the battle area. And uh, but Cuban civilians would try to get to the U.S. naval base. Uh, usually at night, they're trying to sneak through a thousand meters of no man's land to get to freedom. You know, they thought if they could get to the fence at Guantanamo, they'd be free. But you know, there was trip wires out there, and that thousand meters of brush and empty land and mines and they'd get they didn't them them civilians those cubans didn't know that and uh, mm. anyway they'd get themselves blown up or the cuban soldiers would shoot them shoot at them with machine guns in the dark and i mean that was tough to try to understand that like why would anybody do that just someone who wanted to be free and they would you know gun them down like that so for young guys in the service back then, 18, 19, 20 years old, you grow up. You really grow up fast. Now, because of the How hardness. How old were you at that time? Well, I went in when I was 18, and I got out when I was uh, 21. So I did three years okay. in, the, in the infantry. And so, you know, we slept in the rain. You know, we did all the stuff you, you would imagine, but started, you know, that's why I developed my drinking habit was in the service like a lot of other guys and when I got out either guys a lot of them were either on drugs or you know on alcohol and of course with a background from my parents like that I easily slid right into that but you know I had to work through all that now sometimes people ask me because of my involvement in ministry uh it was that a helpful or was that hurtful those kind that experience I would have to say that the discipline at that time, even though it was hard, and even though the culture was of you know of a war uh, mindset, in in seeing some of the things that I mentioned, you know, um, it prepared me for I think what really the big picture you see in the scriptures all about. A lot of people don't understand. Why in the Old Testament, Israel in the book of Numbers was numbered and set apart as these, you know, these uh, 12 tribes, as it says armies. They were armies. And they were being prepared for a great battle. And the battle was for them after they came out of Egypt by the power of God, was to take their new life. They were going to have to go into a land that was flowing with milk and honey and take it because it was occupied. And literally, they had to go in and slay or kill the people, men, women, and children. And I've had people tell me they don't get that at all. That why in the world would God, who the Bible said is good, Jesus said there's none good but God. God is kind. God is merciful. God is love. Well, why in the world would he order his people to go in and commit such atrocities as that? 
Right. So we need to understand that context of, you know, why that would be like that. But a lot of people don't realize the New Testament basically is telling us we are soldiers too. The Apostle Paul said in Timothy that, you know, we have to endure hardness as soldiers of Jesus Christ. Hmm. Um, and, of course, in Ephesians 6, you know, starting in verse 10, we're told we need to put on the whole armor of God that we might be able to stand in the evil day and having done all to stand. So the New Testament is is the uh, substance, and the Old Testament is the shadow or the type. And the New Testament's the antitype. I mean, we don't have time to unpackage all those things right now. Okay. But that taking of the land is us going forward in our new abundant life in Christ Jesus, and we have met the enemy, and the enemy is us. <laughs> <laughs> we are to put to death, the, the scripture says, our old man. And Colossians 3 runs down this whole list of things that it, we are therefore to put to death our members which are on the earth, and he runs down this whole list of all these works of the flesh, the fornications and the uncleanness and all the carnal-minded stuff. He said, we've got to put that to death. Okay, well, our first reaction or response to seeing that we need to do this is to, I mean, dig in. You know, we're going to fight. You know, we're going to yeah. armor up and... We're going to wage war here, you know. Okay. Look out, devil, here I come. <laughs> right. Mm -hmm. But that mindset, actually, even though the imagery is correct, you know, that we are to put to death, you know, these these things in our life, uncleanness and passion, evil desire, and all this other kind of stuff. But it's not going to be done by us trying harder. The weapons of our warfare, Paul said, are not carnal. We're not going to use bombs and, bombs and guns and swords and uh, hand grenades, but we're, we, we're prepared for war, and we do need to armor up, and we can wage this war. And, you know, the, the imagery of Christ, as we see even in the book of Revelation, sitting on that horse, that white horse, and robe dipped in blood and, you know, and the armies of heaven behind him. I mean, it's quite a picture of Christ, uh, you know, leading these armies into war. Now, how we're going to do it, though, is was one of the biggest challenges, I guess, for me. I mean, I could see it from a military perspective, and being in the infantry, we called ourselves grunts for yeah, I was that for three years, you know, and carried a machine gun for a good part of that time is my official weapon. Uh, so in, in during the hardness, you know, I had pictures in my mind when I became a Christian, when I wanted to truly overcome and fight this so-called good fight of faith, I was ready to just salute and execute, you know. Mm -hmm. I, I, sir, three bags full, I was ready to go. <laughs> But now, of course, I wasn't going to take this out on another person, but I realized I have to fight the fight of faith, and I need to subdue my old nature. Now, how the Bible says it's going to be done in the new faith-based system, when I refer to faith-based system, I'm talking about the new covenant as opposed to the old works performance-based system of the Old Testament. Now, the book of Galatians, for people that want to look into that a little bit, is really good at trying to help the Christians understand the difference between works of the law and what is called the justification by faith. And one of the scriptures that really stands out to me in that book of Galatians is in chapter uh, 5, verse 6. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything, but it's faith working through love. Now, 
you know the first and second great commandment. Mm -hmm. You know, they ask Jesus about that, and he tells them. Sure. To love God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength is the first and great commandment. And the second, he says, is just like it, you know, you shall love your neighbors yourselves. So when you look at that in Matthew chapter 22, uh, 38 and 39, there he's telling us, on this hangs all the law and the prophets. Now, okay, that sounds real nice, but you know what? My experience in all these years of ministering and in my own personal life, I have found that that's one thing that most people really don't understand and don't do very well, and that's to really know how to love someone else and how even to accept love. A lot of people are dysfunctional in that area. Now, that would make sense, really. If it's the first and second great commandment, and if everything, all the law and the prophets hung on that, and this is how this will work uh, in our own lives, faith working through love is how we're going to come about to what God is actually looking for, not circumcision or uncircumcision or, you know, going through the motions or through some checklist of do's and don'ts. This is not performance-based in that sense. Now, here's the key thing. When talking about overcoming, we're talking about overcoming the old man and sin in our lives, but that is not to be the focus. Hmm. It's an outcome. It's not the goal. It's not the objective. It's the result of. These are outcomes because if you focus on, oh, I can't do that, and well, I can't do this, and I better be doing this, the Bible says that in Romans chapter 7 that it was the law itself that aroused in the people the passions that brought forth the fruit unto death. A question popped up here. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking of a listener listening to this who might be struggling with some things in their life, and, and they might wake up in the morning and say, okay, today I've got to really work on this, and I've got I to work on that, and they mean well, but whatever the things are that they're trying to work on in their life, and you just said that that's the wrong focus. To focus on the things that we're trying to overcome is is the wrong focus, and it will not result in in winning. Is that is that what you just said? Yes, because what actually it'll do is draw you into the very thing you're looking at. You know, some have used it. You know, I used to struggle with cigarettes years and years ago. That's one of the things I had to overcome, and I, I wanted to overcome, but I went through all the motions like everybody else, throwing the things in the trash can, digging them out in the morning, and... <laughs> You know, <laughs> hating myself. I mean, right. it drives you nuts. If right. you keep thinking about you can't have a cigarette, you're going to go get one. Because you're thinking you about cigarettes. Set, right. You have to set your mind somewhere else. And uh, the, the Bible tells you where to set it in Colossians 3. Set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth. I mean, in Philippians 4, he runs down through a whole checklist of things that a person could set their mind on so that they would actually have a, a peace, a peace that passes understanding. He says you can set your mind on whatever things are true or noble or just or pure or things that are lovely or whatever has good report, anything virtuous or praiseworthy. Well, meditate on these things. Well, but it's so much easier to meditate on my problems because those are the things I can see that need to be fixed. Right. right, right. And they will beat you to death. It doesn't work. God made our minds, and he's the one that's telling us the action is ours. He said, now set your mind. He didn't say, I'm going to set your mind for you. Uh-huh. He said, you set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth. Well, what are where's that up in the clouds somewhere? Well, no. The <laughs> things the things above are what this ministry that you guys have on the air is all about. The inner man. 
the things above are what the scripture reveals to us about those things, how it's done, how we should set our minds and focus, how we can seek God's face, how we can be led by the Spirit, strengthened by the Spirit, uh, walk in the Spirit, and we won't fulfill the desires of the flesh. See, it's an outcome. Right. It's not the goal. So, loving God with all our heart, our soul, our strength, and our neighbors, ourselves, is the key. Well, how do you do that? How do you love a God that you have never seen? Yeah, and, right. And in my case, as I was, I think, said last week, I grew up in a broken, dysfunctional home with a violent father who beat me and my brother and sister when we were little kids. Uh, he was brutal, drove my mother to committing suicide. Then I was institutionalized by the time I was 13, four months in Wayne County or five months in Detroit. And that was a rough place. And then on to another boys' institution for a year and a half. Um, and the guys that run those places were tough, and they didn't have no problem smacking us around. <laughs> So these authority figures, these male authority figures in my life were always wanting to thump on me. And, of course, I went out and joined the Marine Corps right out of high school. And when I met my drill instructors, oh, boy. I mean, they were... Like coming home. Yeah. I mean, they were working us over big time. And, I mean, I could tell you stories. But, you know... When I became a Christian some years later after struggling with alcohol and looking for truth and trying to find my answers, and then, you know, I became a Christian, you know, I was baptized into Christ, and I, I really wanted to please God. Well, I was told I need to read my Bible, you know, and study that. Of course, I was all for it. Well, what do you think happened? I got right into the Old Testament, and what do I see? I see God <laughs> thundering from Mount Sinai, man. I see the ground claving asunder, man, and slamming shut. And I'm seeing lightning bolts coming down and smoking like Uzzah, you know, and smoking Nadab in the bayou. And I'm thinking, whoa, whoa. So I started to have this picture of God as the big drill instructor in the sky. Sure. And I feared him in that way. And that was the wrong picture. Now, God does have, now if you really look at those contexts, the people he was bringing the wrath down on had it definitely coming, but that's not his strong suit. He even said, you know, God is love. He is kind. He is patient. He is merciful. He is all those things. He said, I'm also a jealous God, and I can be provoked to anger, so don't do it. Mm. You know, don't, don't provoke him. But what you actually see as you begin to understand God from the Bible, you know, a great scripture for the mechanism of change for our inner man is, of course, right there in 2 Corinthians 3.18. In the story, these Old Testament stories see are relevant because if a New Testament writer is quoting an Old Testament story and said, this is that, you better pay attention to it. It tells the story of how Moses had behold, beheld the glory of the Lord, the receding glory, and his face actually was changed. It's shown. And you can go back and read the story. It starts in Exodus 33 and it's Exodus 34. In fact, he didn't even know his face was shining. Hmm. So Second Corinthians tells us, chapter 3, if we with an unveiled face, verse 18 says, beholding as in a mirror, the glory of the Lord will be transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. There's a change, a transformation that takes place. This is a spiritual thing. And the power to do it is not you trying harder, but it's beholding as in the mirror of the glory of the Lord with an unveiled face. In other words, it's about believing more, not trying harder. That seems harder. so backwards to us. It does. You know that that seems so that seems so counterintuitive, because every in every other area it seems like we're told you, you've got to try harder, you've got to you've got to work at it, you've got to. It all depends on your effort. And 
it sounds like our efforts are misguided in that case. Right, exactly. It is a fine line because, see, we do do stuff. We are created in Christ Jesus unto good works that God intended that we would walk in those things. Oh, we do things, but it's not because we are mandated or we have to. Again, it's an outcome. Our behavior, our performance, our faithfulness is not because we feel like we have to or we're going to get sumped. We're going to get wet. No, we say, yes, count me in. I'm all for it. When you love somebody, you want to please them. You want to do whatever they want, what they require. It's like, yes, count me in, you know. Uh, I want to do this. David delighted in the law of the Lord, as Paul said he did too, meditating on it day and night. Uh, like he, he becomes like a tree by the rivers of water, you know, bringing forth your fruit and your seed. This is a good thing for people that can see it. Now, because I said, hey, look, if the Holy Spirit, in second, which is the inspired Apostle Paul, he's inspired by the Holy Spirit, he is unpackaging that context of what happened to Moses' face in Exodus 33 and Exodus 34. Moses actually said to God, please show me your glory. He actually wanted to see the glory of the Lord. And that's what 2 Corinthians 3 says in verse 18 we need to do. We need to behold the glory of the Lord. And then something will happen. A transformation. Well, Moses' face was transformed. But we will be transformed. Now, what it says that Moses saw when God put him in the cleft of the rock and covered him with his hand, because he told him, you're not going to be able to see my face, but I'm going to make all my goodness pass in front of you. And he did that. And as he passed by in Exodus 34, what Moses actually saw is the Lord passed before him and proclaimed in verse 6, the Lord, the Lord God, merciful, gracious, long-suffering, abounding in goodness, truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity, transgression, and sin. I mean, what Moses saw panoramically in a vision, more than likely in a moment of time, and you have another example in the New Testament, look in either Matthew 4 or Luke 4, that Jesus was taken by the devil to an exceeding high mountain. The devil showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time, and it says, and their glory. Well, if the devil could do that, could not God take Moses, put him in the cleft of the rock, and do the same thing in a moment of time? And what Moses saw in in the goodness of God, which is his glory, in his powerful mind, Moses' powerful mind, as he beheld... He saw God merciful, gracious, long-suffering, abounding in goodness and truth, all these characteristics of God, and his face was changed. Now, how does that work for us? Because the context tells us, well, that's what we need to do if we want to be transformed into the same image from glory to glory. Well, how are we going to do it? Well, you know, that's why we really emphasize to people you need to study the Word of God because, like Jesus said, one, Scripture can't be broken, endures forever. The Apostle Paul made it clear, the Apostle Peter made it clear that all Scripture is given by the inspiration of God. This is from God. And he knows how to put the information into the book. Paul says in Ephesians 3 that this information was given to him by revelation, which he wrote down, and he said, now when you read what I wrote, You have my understanding. These scriptures are designed to open up our minds that God designed to receive this information. Wow. And what happens when we turn every page? We ain't got nothing else to do in this life. I mean, we can walk and chew gum at the same time. You don't have to sit around and read your Bible 24 (laughs) hours a day. But you need to get out of bed 30 minutes early or do something, find it in your time. Jesus said, man shall not live by bread only, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So, as we're taking in these scriptures, we're turning those pages, 
And you should be in the Old Testament as well. Big mistake when Christians don't think there's anything back in that Old Testament that's relevant to their struggles today. Yes, it is. This is foundational. This is boilerplate for Christianity. These things written aforetime are for our learning. We do need to know these things. Hmm. And what happens is when you turn those pages and your mind is seeing those and God opens our understanding, and by the time we're through this thing and as we study these things out, we see the glory of the Lord. You're going to see God in his kindness and his goodness and his long-suffering and his patience. And when you see what he was willing to do by offering his son as a sacrifice for us so that we could be partakers of this with him, and you start to fall in in love with God who you've never seen. Now, that took me some time because I had, again, the wrong idea. I had God pictured as one that I feared I feared his wrath and his judgment. And when I sinned, when I did something wrong, even when I was a Christian working through this stuff, my first thought was God's mad at me. But the sure. Bible makes it clear. He bore my sin in his body on the tree. There's no way that God would be angry with me and with Jesus at the same time, in other words, putting those stripes on his back. Either Jesus bore it or he didn't. And it says that he did. Now I'm told to lift up my hands that hang down and get my feeble knees working here and get up, <laughs> right. get going. Make straight paths. That he loves me. He his correction, his discipline is Training is what it says in Hebrews 12. He's not trying to destroy me. He's trying to save me. Mm. And you know what? I found out because after I got out of boot camp, and I'd gotten worked over pretty good, my drone instructor knocked me right out with an M14, hit me right in the face with it twice. I mean, he kicked me like a dog. These guys were rough, man. And when I finally got out of boot camp, I graduated, and they told me I was going overseas, and I was going to be assigned to the 3rd Battalion, 9th Marines, and I reported for duty uh, in uh, in the Philippines to get on the ships to head to Vietnam. And they told me, you're in 3rd Platoon, India Company, Report to Staff Sergeant Strong. He is your platoon sergeant. He's right off the drill field. And my heart just sank. I thought, oh, no. I've got a former DI as my platoon sergeant. Yeah. (laughs) When I met that guy, Staff, and I thought, where do they get these names? Staff Sergeant Strong. (laughs) Might as well call him Staff Sergeant Killer or something. They issued those names, yeah. (laughs) Do you know what? That guy was squared away, and he was the nicest guy. And he told us really what it was all about. Because he talked to us like a regular guy. We never were allowed to talk to drill instructors, ever. You never sat and had a chat with them. You weren't even allowed (laughs) to put your scummy eyeballs on those guys. And here he is telling us why they did what they did. And they were really concerned about us making it. So here they were putting us through all that, and we thought they were crazy and just the meanest guys in the world. And really that whole thing was to prepare us for something. You know, they wanted us to come home alive. That was the goal. When God is correcting us and disciplining us, and it says in Hebrews chapter 12 that he chastens us and scourges every son that he receives. Now, you know, if you've ever seen the passion flick, the scourge is pretty brutal. Mm-hmm. So this whooping we get sometimes, we deserve the whooping, but it's not because God is trying to destroy us, but he is trying to save us. And once you realize, because the Bible tells us, those I love, I discipline, I chastise. So he loves us, and that's true 
this my old man, as I described, you know, he would beat me up. I mean, because he told me he hated me. That's not discipline. That's not discipline of a child. But the kind of discipline that is proper is appropriate. It might sting, that's for sure. But the afterward, it yields the peaceable fruits of righteousness in those who are trained by it. Right. So once we can finally see the goodness of God, how he does love us, and the sacrifices that he made for our sakes, and only, not only God the Father, but God the Son. You say, you know what, I want to be a part of this. Count me in. Now the motivation is now not just wanting to be religious or go through the motions. You really want to be on board with God's eternal purpose because we want to bring glory to his name, and that's how it's done. When we come through this great trial of affliction, when we keep our mind set on things above, when we're led by his spirit, strengthened by his spirit, when we walk in that spirit, it's because we want to, not because we're forced to. It makes all the difference yeah. in the world. Is that making sense? Are you tracking with yeah, you? Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And just thinking about... Uh, how you came full circle and, and, and relating your your experiences in the core and the training that you got there and your experiences as a child and, and comparing that with how you viewed God. It seems like, Steve, that is a mindset that many have today that we don't even realize it, though, is that we're viewing God through the lens of we better perform and do this and this and this or else. Or the flip side would be that God really has no expectations of us. Uh, you know, that it's, it's all good. Uh, we're saved. Everything's great. And, uh, and I can just coast. And you're definitely not saying that because, because we're talking about, uh, we're talking about keeping the first and second commandment, right? We're talking about loving God with all our heart and, and all of our soul and all of our strength. Um, and, and that is what is going to result uh, in, in this other Go ahead. Yeah. Remember what Jesus said. You know, I didn't come to destroy the law and the prophets, but to fulfill them. See, the righteous requirement of the law is to be fulfilled in us, Paul says in Romans chapter 8. And it's done by those who do not walk according to the flesh, but they walk according to the spirit. Because, see, the Bible says the law was holy, just, and good. There wasn't nothing wrong with the law. You know, right. some people say, well, it was nailed to the cross. No, the certificate of debt was nailed to the cross. There was nothing wrong with the law. Jesus came to fulfill it, and then Paul says that the righteous requirement of the law is fulfilled in us. Now, look at it. This is great. In Romans 13, he says that we're not to owe anyone anything but to love one another, right. because he who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandment, I'm in verse 9, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal. Well, what's that? Well, it's the Ten Commandments. Well, what does he say? Sure. Well, if there's any other commandment, he said it's all summed up in just this one saying, you shall love your neighbors yourself. He said, love doesn't do no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. Now, here's the thing. Neither one of those commandments, the first and the second great commandment, are part of the Ten Commandments. Right. You can go back and look. They're not in the Ten Commandments. So what are they? Well, they're the royal law. The, ten com the, 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 the royal law, the first and second great commandment, if you do those, you fulfill the other ten commandments, the covenant law, as an outcome. See, because if you love your, your neighbor, you're not going to commit adultery against him. If you love your neighbor, you're not going to kill him. If you love your neighbor, you're not going to steal his lawnmower. You're right. not going to bear false witness <laughs> against him. Borrow, borrow, but not steal. Right, right. Well, so <laughs> he's telling you right there to the Christian, he's quoting the Ten Commandments and says, it's fulfilled in this that you love your neighbor as yourself. So as Paul, as I said earlier in Galatians 5, 6, it's not circumcision or uncircumcision. It's not some checklist. It's not some law performance-based bunch of rules and regs. 
He said it's faith that works through love. Now, I mentioned that was so hard for me because I had no personal example of that in my life. I didn't know love. I didn't understand it. In fact, I thought it was for sissies. You know, that was just, I want to talk about, you know, enduring yeah. hardness as soldiers and, you know, some of that war fighting stuff and all this love stuff didn't make no sense <laughs> to me. Well, it makes sense to me now because uh-huh. I see what God's doing and I do love him and I want to love those he loves. And what it does, it opens your eyes so that when you can look at unlovely people and rather than dislike them, if anyone had a right to feel that way, Jesus in great agony on the cross, why those guys that hung him up there, and I'm talking about the Jewish leadership beside the Roman soldiers, but the Jewish leadership that literally mocked him when he was up there, Hey, you that destroys the temple and builds it in three days, come down now and we'll believe you. Ha, ha, ha. And he looks in there laughing faces. And then he looks up and says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He had a bigger picture. And that's the picture he gives us. When we can see God in that context and and what he helps us to see by opening the eyes of our understanding, all of a sudden this crazy world, as bad as it is, you can put it in context and you can see these unlovely people. They are like sheep without a shepherd. You know, these are, they're lost as we all were once. And they need to hear how they can come, not just go to church, you know, get baptized and go to church. That ain't going to do you no good. That in of itself. Right. We right. need to be, again, to walk with God. You see, we need to be, walk with God as, as Enoch did. We need to be the friend of God as Abraham was. And we need to be a man or a woman after God's own heart as David was. That's in a relationship. And that's what well, Jesus Steve, said. Steve, I've got a question for you. Sure, go ahead. If, if I'm... You know, if, if I had had if I had known you as a as a as a young man, you know, troubled and and with the with all of the, I mean, with every disadvantage that you had. I mean, I, I can't think of many that you didn't have. Mm-hmm. Not many of those guys, not many of those guys made the transition. Were able to to put the old man away to relearn what it is to love and and come out on top. It, is there something that you think, I mean, why is it that you made it? What is it that, that made the difference for you that, that caused you to push through the things you had to push through? Well, what it takes is desire. You got to want to live. Uh, I wanted to live. I believe there had to be a purpose and meaning in life, and I was bound determined to find it, and I wasn't going to find escape it by committing suicide like my mother did. She couldn't stand her life, and that's how she decided to deal with it. And I thought, uh-uh, I'm not doing that to my kids. There's got to be answers here, and I am going to, you know. Well, you know, a scripture that that really hit me <laughs> You're, you're, after I'd become a Christian, I was reading through my Bible in Daniel chapter 10, verse 12, that the angel told Daniel, who appeared, and Daniel was afraid, not his, you know, on his hands and knees. He said, fear not, Daniel, from the first day that you set your heart to understand and to humble yourself before the Lord, your words were heard, and I've come for your words. And if you ask, you do receive. If you seek, you do find. If you knock, it is open to you. That's a guarantee. So you just gotta you just gotta want it. You gotta want it. And you know, one thing, and I don't want to forget this because uh, Jason mentioned the photograph. You want to talk about the power of God to change people's lives and overcome what would be all kinds of obstacles. That picture he referred to those Vietnamese men. Um, yeah, that right. was recently taken. Okay, that's uh, uh, that's uh, you know. that's linked on uh, internetradio.org. They can they can take a look at that. 
Yeah, that picture, because we were meeting with the church uh, that was meeting there in uh, in Vietnam, me and Davy Wilson. Davy is, was in the U.S. Army. He was a Vietnam veteran. And uh, we realized we had other veterans in the room. However, those guys, some were former North Vietnamese soldiers, some were <laughs> former Viet Cong, and some were former Arvins. And here we are having communion together. Wow. And this was an amazing <laughs> thing. What governments just cannot do. The governments could never settle that, that war and solve that problem. And these guys were formerly, all of us would have been, you know, military uh, adversaries. And now here we are in fellowship encouraging in one another and praying for one another and having communion. Wow. Praise God. And what it just gave us, it, you know, me and Davey, I mean, just really, it just chills. We were in great fellowship. Now, who who did all that? You know, some people, you know, if they really took a, probably a good look at, you know, like in Isaiah chapter 11 where it talks about the lions laying down with lambs and, you know, bears with cows and all these critters. <laughs> if you look at that, it's what the branch, the branch, of course, is Christ. Yeah. It's not talking about bringing critters together to live in harmony, but I'm talking about adversaries. You know, you know, these arch enemies that would kill you is to look at you but yet they can come together. Only God could do that. Mm-hmm. And wow. it's amazing. Yeah. Uh, you know, when I go to Kosovo, you know, that place has been troubled for a long time. And one of the residents there, Dr. Java Jiraco, he's just, he's sick of this, of the, of the, the country not being able to go forward. There's still some UN there and he calls them the United nonsense. He wants them to get <laughs> out of there. And get out of everybody's way so that people can, you know, start to, you know, maybe pull things together. Because the nations can't do it. Only God can do it. Only Christ can do it. And that picture, that's why me and Davey, we talked about it. And we asked those guys, hey, let's just get a picture of us veterans. And, she, and so they all wanted to. And that's what that wow. picture is. Wow. All these former adversaries. So that's what can be done. You can overcome, uh, you know, bad attitudes and hatred, uh, jealousies or bitterness or whatever it is. It's the carnal mind. It can be done away. And when you see things like that, example. yeah, yeah, because I mean, it makes any any problems that I have look really small by comparison. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. <laughs> it just puts things in great perspective. Yeah. Thank you, Steve. Uh, you know, the, Mark, I think we're going to link on the uh, on InnermanRadio.org uh, some material that I think, Steve, you, you went through this as well, uh, a new creation study that, that was helpful in uh, as you were seeking uh, maybe answer some of those questions on how it was done. Now, um, am I correct that, that that was some information that you went through at one point in time? Well, yeah, I mean, for sure. You know, it's one thing about the scripture, you know, uh, even with uh, the conversion of the Ethiopian eunuch. I mean, he's trying to figure out the book of Isaiah. Good luck. Uh, And uh, so the angel of the Lord directs Philip down there to join to the chariot. And Philip flat out asked him, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, well, how can I let someone guide me? We all, God doesn't expect everybody to figure all this stuff out on their own. And so because I was asking, seeking, knocking, I was trying to learn. And I, I knew, I said, you know, after maybe 12 years in Christ, you know, I was still zealous and I wasn't drinking. I was actually teaching people, uh, baptizing them. But I could tell that I still had some of that old man that was just hanging around my neck. And I'm thinking, well, when does this fall off? It doesn't fall off. If you were told to put it off. Put mm-hmm. off concerning that old man and put on a new, the action. God gives us the means. Now, we have to take the action, but sometimes we need a boost. We need someone, like maybe in this conversation, what we're doing. 
someone that's been down this road before, has been through it. We don't have to reinvent the wheel. We can help each other. And, yeah. uh, you know, I met some faithful men that really understood how these scriptures work together. The minute they showed me, I, I saw it. It wow. was right in front of my face. So, wow. you know, and God can open the eyes of the understanding for the people that are really looking to understand. So the information is there, but that's why we do have to study and rightly divide the word of truth uh, to get those the outcomes. The spirit will work in the context of a biblical faith. The outcomes, it's called the fruit of the spirit in Galatians 5. It's not the fruit of you crying harder. Right. Yeah, right. Amen. That's How right. come I never read that before, Steve? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> well, Steve, thank you so much for taking time out and, and giving us a, a glimpse into your life and, and especially into uh, your overcoming and, and working with the Spirit and, and how we can um, overcome sin, but most importantly, learn to love and appreciate God uh, because that's really where right, it's at, right. is understanding him, loving him as we learn more about his character and who he is. I, I mean, I don't know about you, Mark, but um, I, I could go on listening to Steve for I mean, Steve, if we could just have you over here and you could just, we could just say, you know what, um, we're going to give you energy pills. You can just stay up 36 hours straight and just talk, you know, like the Energizer Bunny, man. We would just do it. Uh, but we really appreciate appreciate you and, and how you encourage us. Well, I yeah, appreciate Steve, thanks you Thanks for guys. being on the show. and It's really great to be able to gain so much from your experience. We don't all have to reinvent the wheel. So many of the things that you've already gone through we get to gain from, and I'm just really grateful that you allow us to share in those things. Thanks for yeah. thanks for taking us through a tour of your life and, and leaving in the hard parts. Uh, just really encouraging. Thanks a lot. Thanks, Steve. Well, thank you guys for the opportunity, and I appreciate your radio ministry. So God bless you. Mm-hmm.